Hey there. We don't usually do this before the podcast, but I just wanted to give you a little bit of a spoiler alert. In this episode, we do talk about what happens at the end of Cheer Season 2. So if you want to remain spoiler-free, you might want to hit pause, go back and watch the whole season, and then come back and listen. See you then. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is You Can't Make This Up. You Can't Make This Up is the podcast where we uncover the true stories behind your favorite Netflix documentaries and films. On today's episode, we take a closer look at season two of the Netflix series, Cheer. Navarro even slips up for a second or doesn't train hard this year. Trinity Valley is right there to snatch the title from them. Today, we're talking to Trinity Valley Community College cheer coach, Vonte Johnson. When we last left off with cheer, Coach Monica Aldama and the Navarro College cheer squad overcame a stumble and won another national championship. Season two opens with Monica and her cheerleaders riding a wave of newfound fame. But all is not well. Coaches and athletes are spending more time away from the mat. Friction is building between friends. And one of the team's most popular athletes is arrested for child pornography. It's been a very difficult year. We have had a roller coaster, a lot of great opportunities, and a lot of awful times. Meantime, their rivals at Trinity Valley are hungrier than ever to get back on top. This season, we see much more of them and their preparations to win at Nationals. They bring in new faces, both on and off the mat, to take the crown back from Navarro. It all leads up to an epic battle in Daytona. With a final score of 98.0708. And I'm joined now by the head coach of the Trinity Valley Community College cheer team, Vontae Johnson. Coach, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me. Now, Trinity Valley was briefly featured in Cheer Season 1 as a way to introduce Navarro's competition. So what did director Greg Whiteley and his team say to convince you to let them follow you for a whole year or two years? I think after uh, being able to see Season 1 and seeing how they portrayed the athletes and uh, being able to show the sport of cheer uh, to that big audience of what we call the world, I wanted our team to be able to have that that same experience, and I wanted to be able to help show that shed that light as well. So, uh, whenever they approached us, we were definitely on board. So, when I recommend cheer to people, which I do, by the way, all the time, um, I really stress the athleticism of the sport itself. I think people think the season is going to be, you know, soapy or something. The show. Do you have this conversation a lot, explaining to people who might not get it just how insanely athletic this sport is? Yes, of course, all the time, especially when I'm at home, because I, I was never a cheerleader when I was at home. So uh, talking to that that different aspect of people that's not used to being in the cheer world and letting them see how it is now, you know, like for me, it, it's been great to be able to shed light and be able to show them the athleticism that these athletes have. So sometimes a sports documentary will pump up or hype up the conflict between two teams to make for a better story, uh, you know, edit it a certain way. But your rivalry with Navarro, it's legit, right? Uh, most definitely. Uh, I'm, I'm a Florida State guy because I'm from Florida, which you guys know from the show. I despise 
the University of Florida. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I respect them because they're they're a great team, but it's the same. Uh, I'm a Trinity Valley guy, so I'm not a Navarro guy. Yeah. Uh, don't like them because they're our rival, but I do have respect for them too. Yeah. So they are your rival on the mat. But what about during recruiting? Do you find that the notoriety that cheer brought uh, made it harder to get the cheerleaders that you wanted or easier? Uh, I think cheer helped, helped, helped in a certain way because uh, we got to get, reach a broader, a, a broad spectrum of people. We got to be able to, uh, to, shed light on our school as well, even though it was only a brief in season one. But they got to see that, you know, Navarro does have competition. Uh, and maybe we can go to that school as well. Maybe we're an option as well. So I think with being, how, being able to be a, a brief part of season one helped us be able to recruit as well. I'm curious about that because in season one and in season two, we hear how, you know, you have a different policy for running your team than Monica does. You know, she allows her athletes to participate in more outside opportunities and you run your team with a more traditional, you know, school and team focused culture. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about that, because it seemed to really work to your benefit with what we saw in cheer, too. And I'm wondering if that affects recruiting also. Are there some athletes who are really attracted to that, you know, like that team focused, athletic focused culture that that you run there? Of course, we try to make sure that we um, preach team first, uh, school, of course, and make make sure that that's our, that's your first priority. But we do allow athletes to be able to do all stars as well, yeah. um, and those are outside things, so that they're still be able to be able to fulfill their dreams in certain in certain ways that they might not have been able to back home. So a lot of athletes that we will get from out of state will want to be on those big all star teams. So we will give them the option uh, to be able to be on those teams as well, but. Trinity Valley has to be your first priority. Right. right. So we, 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 we do let them have the opportunity to do certain things outside of Trinity Valley. But we also make sure that they understand that the reason you are here is for Trinity Valley and Trinity Valley should be your focus. And the other things are great to have, but don't lose sight of that so that we can still accomplish our, our ultimate goal. Now, as a football fan, you may know that Bill Belichick has what he calls bulletin board material in which he puts clippings of things that other teams say about the Patriots to motivate them. And I'm wondering, uh, does Navarro's newfound fame provide you with your own bulletin board material to motivate you? <laughs> um, glad. To, I mean, it, it, I'm a Bill Belichick fan. Obviously, I'm a Patriots guy. So <laughs> uh, I wouldn't say that his his bulletin board is something that we use or a, a motivation for us to push hard. I, I think that my motivation comes from the years that I cheered and not actually having the opportunity to win. And I would keep every second place trophy that I had, you know, and of course doing other, other, other activities, I would keep all my second places just as a motivation. And what you see in, in, in the season with the, the trophy of the second place trophy, it's a reminder that complacency can, get you back in that spot. So it's a, it's a reminder for our team and, of course, for myself to push hard and, and try to obviously become a champion. Now, Coach, there is a lot of your backstory in this season of cheer, and it's really interesting how you came to the sport. I grew up in a place called Ocala, Florida. We didn't have money growing up. We tried to play any sport to be able to make sure that we were out of the house. Football, basketball, any kind of thing to make sure that we stayed active because our only goal was to be able to get out. So as a young athlete, what, what did cheer do for you? 
uh, I was introduced to you. I, I guess I was what, 17, Bob turned 18. So um, it was very new to me uh, what you guys did. You realize I didn't understand that that cheer had a different side. I'd only seen it, obviously, being a football player of them cheering on the sidelines. Uh, and, you know, the, the ritual things that you'll get at high school, you know, high school cheerleaders type of thing. So I didn't realize that aspect of it until, of course, I was introduced to the all-star world. And then my football coaches, his wife was our head cheer coach. And I didn't know that they had a competitive squad and she convinced us to do it. So I was awakened to that, to that, that aspect of cheerleading that I had never knew. So I saw how challenging it was, uh, firsthand by going into gyms, trying to, see the things that they were that they were doing and I thought it was just very neat so I wanted to give it a try. Hmm. But you did play football before you cheered. Did you bring anything lessons uh from football to the sport of cheer? As an athlete, I think everything you bring from any sport should go into the next sport. Uh I for me it was intensity, uh willing to, willingness to not ever lose, you know, like The biggest reason you guys are running right now is because you're not acting like a team. And you're gonna run like a team today. And you're gonna have to run like a team until you start acting like the team. Work together. If something happened, collectively agree on it. Get over it, let it go. For me, I never wanted to lose a game. I never wanted anyone to score on me. I always wanted to be the best. So that translates into cheer. Mm. You don't wanna go and you don't wanna lose to anyone, ever. And cheer obviously is a little different than, than football because Everyone has to do their individual job, whereas in football, you can't get away with missing a block. Cheer, you can't drop a stunt. And if, and if we did, you know, like, that can cost us a championship, which happened to us a couple times, you know, throughout my, my coach career. So it, it's definitely something that you, you can bring by having certain aspects like, of course, my intensity and willingness to win. So at the time of filming, your assistant coach was Chris Franklin, who, by the way, could not be more like Coach Beard from Ted Lasso. Uh, something that I don't know if he hears that a lot. I don't know if you've observed that before, but he really could not have come off anymore like Coach Beard from Ted Lasso in the documentary. Um, he had been the head coach before leaving and coming back. Were Were you worried with that dynamic that there would be any confusion as to who was in charge uh, during that season? Not not at all. Um, of course, he was my mentor when he was my coach. So whenever he asked me to come take over. I understood the assignment. And whenever he came back, you know, as an assistant coach, he understood as well. So uh, I thought the dynamic was great because I started as his assistant coach and we had we were champions that year. So we knew we could work together and work well together. So, um, no, it was a great fit. I was glad I was happy to have him back. Can you talk about your relationship with him? Because we do see you outside the gym, too, uh, having breakfast, golfing. Um, What is it like away from the mat with him? Uh, you guys don't see it, but he's super competitive too. <laughs> oh no, I think we see uh, it. <laughs> he's super competitive too, but uh, he's he's a great person to have around. He's he's the biggest motivator. I, I was worried because of the, the score deficit, and then I read the score sheet. These these scores tell me they want it to be you. There's there's no way with the way we executed our raw score should should be where it is. They want it to be you, but you got to give them a reason. You know, always make sure to, to push me and to make sure that I'm going on the right path. So we, we do we do a lot of things together. Obviously, we, we play golf a lot together, but we work out, you know, 
sometimes. Uh, he'll play basketball. You know, he was on that. He was a part of that scene. He was on that team with us on my team. So we do a lot together because we know what type, what ta- what town we're in. We're in a small town, Athens, Texas. So, uh, and it's just you know, it's him and I. So he's like my big brother. So yeah. Something really seemed to happen with him in the in sort of the the middle of the second half of the series that twenty twenty one season where he really seemed to like the spark. Like he, I think he sort of got it that you guys were going to win. I don't know. He just like it seems something seemed to turn on. Um, I don't know if it was like that or if it was just edited that way. But that was the moment where I thought like I think he might come back to this in a big way, like full time. I I just I sort of sensed it. Uh, is that kind of what the dynamic was like? Did you guys have a sense that there was some real momentum happening at that moment? We had that momentum actually was in 2020. Oh, OK. That, that, that routine that we had in 2020. Obviously, yeah. you got to see little bits and pieces of it. Yeah. But we we knew, you know, like obviously you never know because anything can happen. But we we had that sense of, wow, we're, we're turning this into what we what we envisioned it the whole time. Mm. And our whole goal was obviously was to get him a full time position here. And when that when that opened up for him to be co-head coach, it was just the right thing to do. It was obviously a match made for for him and I so but him in the show it it shows just his passion that's how he is he's he's great at at that part of cheer he's great at what 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 we call the score sheet stuff he's Mm. great at that and obviously when when it when it comes to skills and stuff he can teach those as well but when it comes to the score sheet that's when I obviously he, he he steps in and when it comes to like the teaching skills he's like hey that's where you're good at you know so those are the points where they drove home for him so you can see where he's good at now it was clear with that 2020 team that you did need that one thing to get you over the top so you got Navarro's old choreographer um did that wildly change your routine because it looks like the choreographer kind of comes in after you have a lot of like the stunting and pyramid together or does that just kind of like polish and tweak um after the athletic parts are put together how does that work so normally uh routines are built by us not 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 the actual choreography but when it comes to skills we we know the skills that we're going to put into the routines and we let the choreographers know hey we're going to have this many skills doing this skill we have these structures then during this pyramid we have these baskets with these girls and the choreographer come and just make the magic happen. And Brad was one of the choreographers that year that came and made the magic happen, which did give us a, a good element that we were, we were trying to make sure that we added. Because when I first came in, obviously, I wanted to be in super collegiate and clean. And I understand now that, you know, you need to bring that entertainment aspect to it. Hmm. So we actually never got to see that full 2020 routine in the documentary because you guys didn't compete. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and will we ever get to see that? I mean, is that just like in a vault somewhere? Are you saving it? I I, I have to know just as a viewer because I kept waiting. I'm like, I we get to see that. <laughs> we, we use some of it. So like you'll see in the routines that, you know, in 2021 routine, we use some of the some of the some of the skills in that routine. Yeah. And in, in that routine, it's the same thing. Like we didn't. I think both teams wanted to use that routine because right. we both knew how powerful they were. But co- what comes with the new year is you have a whole different personnel. So being able to use that routine was not feasible because you didn't have the right athletes to be able to fill the certain spots. So we do have we we do challenge the team throughout the years. Like, hey, you're going to do 2020's routine. You got a couple weeks to do it. And this team, you know, obviously they'll jump in their shoes and be like, "Okay, we'll we'll do this routine. But as far as videos out there for the world to be world to see, we want to keep that for that team because it was special for them. Hmm. 
How do you know when you have like a magic special national championship caliber team? Is there just like a feeling that you have like right at the beginning of a season? Sort of, sort of. But you you don't really feel it right away because you want to make sure that they're being cohesive as a team. Because no matter how talented the team is, you can easily fall apart because you're not working together. So if you see, I think as coaches in the cheer world, we, we want to see how well they work together. Obviously, you want to have a talented team, but if they're working well together, you know you have that that major, major piece and that cohesiveness of, of teamwork and, and loving each other as a family. I think that's the most important factor of having that magic team. And when we feel that, and normally you'll see that coming towards the middle of the first semester. And then, of course, that second semester, whenever they get that routine, you're like, OK, this is it. Mm. So we're getting to that point now where we're starting to see that magic. Yeah. And you were just days away from that rematch at Daytona in 2020 when that COVID lockdown happened. So how we didn't see the, you know, how the team fully took the news. We just saw glimpses of it. That must have been devastating for those students, right? It it was devastating uh, for the team because they had worked so hard and, and they understood that it was devastating for the world, too, because they weren't the only ones that were affected. Uh, so it was something that they had to come to terms with and and realize that we were in times that are different. And as much as they worked their tails off to be able to go to Daytona, they were still proud that they had the opportunity to be here. So as much as it stung and hurt them, they were happy to still be training Valley cheerleaders. Now, my husband said that this season of cheer reminded him of Rocky III. Uh, Rocky had reached the top level. He was enjoying the spoils of victory. In the meantime, his challenger was working harder and getting better. Um, do you think that's a fair description of these last two seasons of what's been going on down there in Texas? I, I wouldn't say it's a fair, fair description. Only because just because we saw their spoils of, of, of winning does not mean that they're, they weren't working their tails off. Mm. Uh, they still were in the gym working hard. They still had tons of athletes that were eager and ready to win. So I wouldn't say that. I, I didn't. I didn't think that they were they were loosening up. If anyone say, I was just making sure that we seized the opportunity of working hard, no matter what, because we don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Well, I said honestly that uh, the season reminded me more of Bring It On, a uh, championship team. A rival team who just prepared better, worked harder, had great leadership. Um, honestly, Jada Wooten reminded me so much of Gabrielle Union's character <laughs> in that film. Just like cohesive, telling everybody what to do, being just like there for everyone. I put on CCFC that I believe that we are going to hit a zero. And that's all that matters is zero. Not the ring, not the win, none of that. Zero. Right. We've been working hard and hitting this fucking routine. Zero. Every, almost every practice. None of, all those mistakes back there was meant to happen back there. That's where you make those mistakes. That's where you find out where you need to piece things together. She's really extraordinary. Um, an extraordinary student, extraordinary athlete. She's moved on, right? Yes. She's going to love that reference. <laughs> oh, I'm glad to hear it. I never know how real athletes feel about their depictions of their sport in, in film. So I'm glad yeah, to hear she, that. <laughs> she'll, she'll love that. She'll love that, 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 that depiction of her. But um, Jada was definitely, she was a key piece. Uh, she did help uh, with being a leader that year. But it, it, I I will give credit to the whole sophomore class. Uh, Jada was featured and she was a big part, you know, but I will give credit to the whole sophomore class. Her other, her fellow brethren that went through her rookie year with her were there, you know, like to push the team to obviously in, in, the, in the way that we needed them to move so that we can get to 
the standard that we're trying to show the world. So I think as a whole that year, we all had a, a vision of what we wanted. And no matter what, we were going to try to seize that opportunity. So in 2021, you came back with some unbelievable tumblers, including rookies Angel Rice and D. Joseph. Um, did they change the game a little bit for the team? Definitely. They changed the game, not not for the world. I'll just say for our team. They they helped team that we did bring in realize that, hey, no matter what, we got to work just as hard. Now, this is this is not just some team that you're just going to come and be the best tumbler on. Everybody is just as good. And it's, it's talented as D and Angel are, you had Jada, you had J-Mo, you had all those guys, TJ, all those clean tumblers that could do those skills right on their heels. So it was just one of those things where everyone was feeding off of one another. So having those high caliber athletes like Angel, who I never thought would be on the team because of obviously how big she was in the cheer world, it, it definitely helped. For sure. Hmm. Yeah. If you look her up, by the way, I would recommend listeners do that on the Internet. There's some incredible videos of her <laughs> out there. She's an um, unbelievable tumbler. It's a reason why it, it's really astonishing. And I understand why you feel so lucky. Um, Dee is a really, really interesting athlete. You know, there is this recurring thing that we see where he could do all these incredible flips and stunts. But performance was something that was challenging for him. He didn't really embrace that aspect of the sport, the smiling aspect of the sport every team i was on i just did my tumbling passes and i went to the back then i did my tumbling passes then i was the end of my routine i ain't never have to perform or go to the front and smile and all that that's why i said i'm not really a cheerleader i just told him how did you view that how did you see that problem and and help him break through that i mean i understood what he come from where he came from uh when i first got in the chair i was the same way I didn't know I was going to have to do all, all of those things. I was the best nugget in the world, whereas a nugget is a guy that throws the skills, you know, do, do the tumbling, then go in the back and, and, and squat down. Whereas in, that's what he was used to. He was used to just doing skills over and over and over, but not having to do the flashy stuff, which me understanding where he was coming from and him seeing it by being actually on the all-star team with me, he realized that if I can do it, then he can do it. So for him, seeing me actually go out and perform and not caring what anyone's going to think about me, it helped him realize that it's not as bad as I may think it was. One of the recurring themes in Cheer are the difficult decisions that coaches have to make. And I was curious, because it does come down to these hundreds of a point, would you really have benched him if he ultimately didn't try to perform? Definitely. Hmm. I love D. D knows that. 100%. He, he's, he's my dude. But I have to put Trinity Valley in the best position to be champions. And if D didn't want to go out there and perform, we had great guys that were able to do the same skills that D was able to do. We, we don't, as, as talented as D is, D obviously is one of the best tumblers, but we wouldn't put something in a routine that we couldn't have somebody else come and do. So he, he understood that he was going to have to conform a little bit. I didn't obviously we didn't put him in things that we know Jaren would do, but we at least gave him things where he can show his personality. Hmm. So I have a coaching question for you. If a cheerleader messes up in practice, 
in that moment, the stakes are relatively low. We see you bringing the hammer down. But at nationals, it was all on the line and D had a stumble and you did nothing but build him up after that. Can you talk about that difference? Yes. Uh, in practice, obviously, those are mistakes. And I, I, I'm hard on them in practice because I want them to understand that the smallest things can be taken from you. And I want you to continue to push your hardest to, to make sure those mistakes don't happen. But we're at the competition. The last thing I want to do is tear you down. Do I look upset? No. Do I look like I'm pissed and mad? No. Who's the first person to get pissed and mad when something goes wrong? Yeah. Me, right? So what are you doing it for? There's nothing you can do about anything that's happened. We're going to make it up tomorrow. That's all you can do. You're holding your heads down as if that won't score higher than 95% of this competition. It still will. The last thing I want to do is make you more nervous. The last thing I want to do is, is make you feel like you got this weight of the world pressure coming from me because you don't want to let me down. You already done everything I needed you to do by getting to Daytona. So I just want you to have fun and enjoy it. And I wanted him to be able to just let it go. There's nothing he could have done about what happened besides go and prove to everybody that nobody can touch him. We did see, too, that you had made a mistake at Nationals as a student yourself. I mean, did that influence you? Does that, does that influence you as a coach? Oh, most definitely. That, obviously, that was, I think that's my biggest learning point for me in life, uh, for my true career. I used to be that guy that never dropped. And when I was on Trin Trinity Valley that year, I hadn't dropped that stunt ever. And if I made a mistake, obviously I was that intense guy. I felt like nothing was ever my fault. And I realized that it takes two to actually do this skill. And I didn't do my job on making her feel like she could still do this skill. So that for me was my turning point. Whereas in I need to build up athletes as well, instead of thinking that I'm the best. Obviously, I'm going to push myself to be the best, but it takes a team to win. And I didn't do my job as a teammate to help her. And I will ever let anybody go through that again. It really seems like the secret of your success as a coach is that everything you've learned along the way as an athlete, you've built in to your coaching philosophy. Would you say that's true? Yes, uh, definitely. I, I try to take all the coaches that I, you know, I've enjoyed throughout my, my life and try to find the things that I like the most that, that they help me with and obviously build it into my philosophy so that I can find who I am as a coach. And obviously my experiences as an athlete goes as well with all of that. So all of that collectively helped me throughout my, my time as, as an athlete and coach to, to help me get to who, I am, to who I am now. So I think it would be a mistake for me not to ask you, um, what do you think the secret to Monica Aldama's success as a coach is? Uh, I, you know, I used to think about this all the time when I was a, when <laughs> I was an athlete. As an athlete at Trinity Valley, I, I used to wonder how she, you know, how they would win so much. And then obviously becoming a coach, you know, I couldn't I couldn't do anything but respect her for how many times she had won. So for me, she had to have been doing something that we didn't we didn't understand. And somebody had once told me, you know, you got to figure out the formula. She knows the formula. So. Now I have my formula. So that, I think as a coach, she did a great job on building that program to what she, what she has it at now. Hmm. So after uh, the popularity of Cheer Season 1, we did see the Navarro team was busy. They were distracted by appearances, agents, endorsements, being celebrities. With uh, Season 2 coming out, is there a lesson there for your team? Do you have concerns about that? Do you have a plan in place? There's always lessons for everything, um, that is thrown out to the world. And obviously what was depicted uh, was the story that was told. 
But we, we, we know as a team that our goal is Trinity Valley first. Uh, no, no way in shape are we trying to take opportunity away from any, any, any of our athletes, former or present. But we know where our goals are. Our goals are be here, be great students, graduate, win a championship if you can. We, don't, we won't take anything away from our athletes, but we won't let it affect our goals as well. I'm curious, you know, you just watched this documentary and you know that only so much can fit into a series like this. Were there students, uh, storylines, moments in these seasons that you hoped would be highlighted or that you would love to talk about that, you know, the world won't see? So when, when Greg approached us, you know, about being able to do the show and, you know, about the athletes that may be depicted or not, our only object was to let him come and watch the practice and let him tell the story. And that's, that's all we did. Our goal was to let him come and watch, and he would do the best to, to draw the story. So when it came to any of that, we, we left that all up to Greg. Wow, that's a lot of trust. Cheer season one must have really had an effect on you, and, and you really went into this tremendous amount of trust. That must have been difficult in some ways. <laughs> I will say that, obviously, as a coach, you're going to be nervous. But if you're going to agree to do something, you have to trust the people that you're allowing to be able to come in and tell your story. And that's all I really could do. I needed to be able to give Greg the trust and obviously uh, his crew with Claire and uh, Cinnamon. But I wanted them to be able to tell our story the best they felt like it would be for us. And the only way to do that was to give them the trust. And we did that. So there's something I was wondering the entire time I was watching your team. Uh, Maybe it's a secret, but what does that motto CCFC mean? <laughs> if, I, if I tell you, I have to kill you. <laughs> All right. Another thing that I need to know, what is it like to jump in the water at Daytona holding that enormous trophy? So um, when I was going to Trinidad Valley, that's all I used to dream about. You know, like, I, you know, as an athlete, you, you envision yourself winning these championships where it's like the biggest championships in the world. And I used to always think, man, I can't wait to be able to do that. And to be able to do that is something special. The water's freezing, but you feel none of it because it's been a tradition for so long. And to be able to do that with that team, because they don't get a spring break, they don't get to do any of those things. And to be able to show the, all the hard work that they put out, it makes it enjoyable. It makes it a, a very thrilling moment to be able to run in the water. I'll tell you, as a viewer, it was thrilling. We watched, uh, you know, your rival buy a stage, um, fly to Daytona, have uh, watch the results in a ballroom. Um, we watched your team have a very different experience, you know, travel by bus. You're all cramped into this little hotel room watching the results. And then we got to watch you run into the water with that trophy. It was a magnificent thing to watch as a viewer. You have to know. For the viewer, that's what everyone's going to see, right? Uh, of course. And we wanted to make sure, obviously, that that year in was it was, a, it was a tough year because it was coming off the COVID year. And we wanted the athletes to have the experience that everyone in Daytona was going to have. Uh, so most teams were in their rooms, you know, like sitting in those rooms, cramped up, ready for these resort results. And we felt like no matter what, we're family at the end of the day. We went through this whole year. So get get in here nice and tight. We're going to be either be happy together or we're going to cry together, no matter where we are. Coach Vontae Johnson, congratulations again on cheer season two. But more important on that win in Daytona, I was really rooting for you. Thank you so much for talking to me about it. 
Uh, thank you. It means a lot to know that you're rooting for us because we were definitely, definitely out to, to, to hopefully claim that championship. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks again to Coach Vontae Johnson. What did you think of the new season of Cheer? Who were your favorite athletes? Which team were you rooting for? Who would you rather be your coach? Let me know on Twitter at Reb Lavoy. For more of my takes, check out my other podcast, Crime Writers On. Each week on that show, we break down the latest in true crime documentaries, films, podcasts, and pop culture. If you like You Can't Make This Up, please rate and review this show and share it with friends. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And make sure to subscribe to the show to stay tuned for all new episodes. Our music is by Kelly Mack at Netflix Music Lab. You Can't Make This Up is a production of Netflix. I'm Rebecca Lavoie. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>